0: To a special author interview episode of the All the Books Show. Thank you. Thank recorded, you for that kind welcome.
1: Recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library. Mm-hmm. I'm Eric Megles. And I'm Nick Gunning. Yeah, and we're excited to bring you this special little mini episode today because uh, we had a chance to talk to somebody who I've admired for a while. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing that with you right now. A couple of years back, uh, when I first picked up one of Tess Gerritsen's books, I never read her before. And I always, you know, I've seen them around. And they're, of course, very popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rizzoli Isles TV show was, was very big. So I picked up uh, Die Again, which came out in 2014. Right. And I was sitting down at the coffee shop and reading it. I took a picture of it. Uh-huh. And I tweeted, I'm really digging this Tess Gerritsen book. I haven't read her before. Okay. And Tess Gerritsen herself liked it. <gasps> and I was like, oh, well, that's cool. I always like that, you know? Nice. So we had that, we had that little thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, just over the years, I continued reading them. And then when it came time to, uh, set the book club books for the year right uh, i thought hey we've never done a tess garretson before so i originally was going to do a rizzoli and isles but our music themed summer reading program made me rethink that uh-huh. so i settled on one called playing with fire and i won't get into it too much because we discussed this with the author but i was really taken by it mm-hmm. and it it made it made me have a lot of questions and i thought hey let's see if uh, tess garretson will chat with us about this book and guess what eric what did she say she said yes awesome she did so you know what roll it Hi there, this is Nick Gunning calling from the David A. Howe Public Library. Yes, hi, good to talk to you. <laughs> hi, thank you. Thanks for agreeing to talk with us this morning. I'm, I'm here with Eric Mickles, and we've just got a few questions for you if you're up for it. Sure. Okay. Well, our theme this summer uh, for our programming is music, and I've been a fan of your Rosalie Isles books for a while now, and I came across Playing with Fire and thought it would fit with our theme perfectly, so I thought maybe we'd focus on that book today, if that works for you. That's fine. Great. Okay. Well, uh, my first question is a simple one. Uh, I'm just curious where the idea for Playing With Fire came from, and if you could uh, tell a little bit about the plot as well for those who haven't read it. Okay. Um,
2: I was in Venice for my birthday, uh, and uh, had a nightmare while I was there. Um, dreamt that I was playing my violin. I am an amateur violinist. Okay. And there was a baby sitting next to me, and as I played this music and I recall in a dream that the music was somehow very disturbing. Um, the baby,
1: her eyes glowed red, and she turned into a monster. Oh, wow. That's an unsettling yeah. dream.
2: <laughs> so I woke up, and that was an interesting nightmare, and I thought, there's a book in here, but I'm not quite sure what the story is. It's something about the power of music to transform people, to tell a story, to, to, to inspire some really deep emotion. So um, I walked around Venice that day, And I ended up in the old Jewish quarter. And there's a uh, there's a piazza there where they have uh, memorials to uh, the Jews who were deported from Venice and sent to death camps. Uh, I think most of them died in Poland. And um, I just I was looking at this this list of names. They had named all all the um, the Venetian Jews who had died. And there was this group of names at, at the bottom um, that uh, I just sort of saw this whole family, and I thought, this is my story. This, uh, this is where I want to write turn this story into, uh, from music into the Holocaust. It was almost as if I was meant to be there. And um, so that's, that's how it all came about. It was, a, it was a dream
1: followed by a trip to the Jewish Quarter. Well, it made for a really fascinating book. It was. Uh, we're doing it for our book club, and it's one I picked up. I didn't intend to just read the whole thing, but I did. I just. <laughs> I sat down and read right through it because uh, I mean, it's just it's intense, you know. It's it's very high paced. It just it just grabbed me right from the beginning.
2: Well, it's it's also a very short book. I mean, I felt that um, part of it was a, I was thinking this would be a story that would also be something for um, for young adults. It would tell oh, okay. them. It would teach them something. Um, and I wanted to keep it very, very firmly on just those two themes mm-hmm. about about how music, how musicians are all linked. I mean, in a way, there's something about the the language of music that needs no interpretation. Sure, we look at a piece of music, and we all know how it's supposed to sound. It doesn't matter what language you speak. So, there's that
1: that sort of brotherhood of musicians. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's stick with that for a minute, because I'd like to talk a little bit about the piece that you actually composed, Incendio, to go with this. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the process of writing that?
2: Yeah, so I'm, um, as I mentioned, I'm an amateur musician. <laughs> I play both the piano and, and the violin. Okay. And um, while I was writing this story, I had to um, I had to describe a piece of music that didn't actually exist. Sure. And um, the plot is um, about a, a woman violinist who picks up a, a piece of sheet music in a Rome antique store, brings it mm-hmm. home. And every time she plays this music on her violin, her three-year-old daughter goes a little berserk sure. and does something really horrifying. So that's the, that's the baby in my dream, the mm-hmm. monster who mm-hmm. is inspired by, by disturbing music. Um, and this starts to affect her marriage and her family, and she becomes afraid of her own toddler. Um, so she needs to find out where this music comes from and she eventually goes back to Italy to track down um, the name uh, the, the composer and what was the story behind this mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm. Um, and the piece of music, this fictional music is called um, in Italian incendio, uh, Gendio which means fire. Um, and I was I had to describe this piece of music that she was playing I mean just for the, for the, for the book's purposes and about halfway through the writing of the story, I had another dream, um, and I woke up with a melody in my head. Mm. It's one of these weird things where you know, everything is sort of handed to me. Yeah. Subconscious. Well, that's great. Um, and I could immediately sit down and play the theme, that that opening theme on the mm-hmm. piano. I knew the chords. I knew exactly how it sounded. Okay. Um, but it took me probably about six weeks to compose the whole thing because as the music is described, it starts off with a, mm-hmm. a mournful waltz mm-hmm. and it gets more and more frenetic yeah. and uh, goes into the higher registers and becomes really disturbing. Um, so that was the part that I really needed to work out was, was how this, this really pretty theme becomes disturbing. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the process of, of, uh, of composing. Um, once the music was composed, I wrote it for piano and violin. Um, I sent it to a... Uh, a producer, music producer in London, and said, "What should I do with this?" And he matched me up with a fantastic violinist from Toronto who recorded it, um, and that's that's how the music uh, came to be uh, on uh, you know
1: a recording. Well, I was so pleased when you sent me that link because you know I, I've read a lot of books where they're talking about. Oh, maybe they're talking about, uh, you know, a book the characters really love or a piece of music or a movie or something. And it it often makes me wish that, you know, I could experience that, too. So I love that you actually, like, sat down and and wrote this piece, which is such a central part of the book. Uh, So I I really enjoyed hearing it. I know the book club will as well.
2: Well, uh, people who are musicians in particular, I think, will understand a lot about, you know, about some of the stuff that maybe non-musicians wouldn't understand. I, have, yeah. I actually have a couple of, I think I have one or two second violin jokes there that I don't <laughs> think many people make second violinist jokes. Um, and I also mentioned some, you know, something to do with music. There are, um, there are chords that are described as, as devil's chords.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and those are real things. I mean, they are, they are musical intervals, two notes, which, mm. were, uh, which were forbidden in the medieval church because they were considered evil. Oh, wow. Because the sound of these two notes clashing um, is very disturbing, mm-hmm. and um, you know it makes me wonder what is it about just two notes playing together yeah. that can elicit this neurologic response in almost every human being.
1: Well, the the music does evoke those feelings that, that, uh, you know, the the book talks about. So I I think it was very well done. Uh, Let's stick with the history for a minute, you mentioned the historical part of that. I wondered um, what what unique challenges come with writing uh, historical fiction, because this book, as you mentioned, pops back and forth between the present and the past. And I just wonder, you know, what what about writing those historical scenes uh, challenges you? Well, I think the the most challenging part for me um,
2: was... (laughs) It's a very difficult topic. Oh yeah, I mean, the Holocaust is, is a horrifying yeah. topic, and um, and there is not there was not a lot written about Italy, and most of what we know as Americans um, are you know places that uh, like the Netherlands with Anne Frank or Poland or, or what was happening in Germany. Mm-hmm. But Italy was one of those the sort of interesting um, places that the Holocaust was happening, but there were there were a lot of differences, and that's what I wanted to emphasize. with how many Jews survived mm-hmm. uh, in Italy? Why did they survive? What made Italians different? Um, and that I found I found fascinating, yeah. that, that Italians, um, a lot of them saved their friends and their neighbors and their relatives who happened to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, what helped, of course, was that, um, in Italy anyway, Jews were so deeply
1: integrated into society. So, w- what about this? Uh, sticking with the challenges of writing. I mean, how 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 is it different for you as a writer to sit down and write, um, you know, wholly original characters versus a mix of original characters and your your popular recurring characters like Rizzoli and Niles?
2: Um, yeah, well, um, most of the characters that I, I wrote in about in Playing with Fire were were fictional, mm-hmm. um, and I think you you have a responsibility
1: to be to be true to history. Yeah, um, you can't just. Have somebody
3: not be the way they they were described
2: historically. So that is the big thing: is you feel responsible to be accurate um, in fiction when I make up people, I can I can make them do whatever I want right. them to do or be whatever I want them to be. Um, but here we're talking
1: about you know, real people who suffered real real horrors, and
2: mm-hmm. I wanted to be
1: true to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was a very I mean, like you say, it's just that is just an upsetting time. It's an upsetting topic, uh, and so I, I like the way you sort of you you put a human face on on the characters in the book that really, you know, g- gave you kind of an understanding of that time and uh, just little simple things that you might take for you know, granted.
2: I I know, and and I think it was really important for me to focus on one family mm-hmm. and to
1: think about the well, that humanizes that it. that makes it personal. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also
2: it, it, it makes you it makes it puts you into what would I have done in that situation because here there were these Italian Jews and and they felt safe they felt perfectly safe mm-hmm. they they were seeing things that were happening you know in other countries thinking do we stay or do we go and that's a conversation that I can imagine people having over their dinner table yeah and and tr- here I am trying to put myself into that situation mm-hmm. thinking would I have stayed or would I have fled I mean you have elderly relatives you have a business you have a life. You give that all up because of some possibility that um, that the Holocaust is coming to Italy. Right. So it's it's that conflict between you know um, all your life, your your established life, and your fears that I I found really um,
1: was really a- I was really able to identify with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a very it's an emotional topic. I'm sure the writing process was uh, emotional for you. Uh, how do how do you feel when you finish a book like this? I was well. This was.
2: Yeah, I think I probably shed more tears over this book than
1: yeah. any story I've ever. Yeah, I can read. imagine. Um, because it's it's not. I mean, it's not
2: just about this horrifying death of this of this family. What right. happens to them? It was it was. I think the heroic aspects of the ordinary people who who tried to save them. Um, in particular,
3: uh, there is the character Laura Balboni, who mm-hmm. is a, Who's the girl who loves
1: the composer? And yeah. she's not Jewish. And right, what she goes through what she sacrifices to save her lover. So. Yeah, well, in her, I think the experience she has where um, she may make things worse, you know, like she she feels like she's doing the right thing, and sometimes it's drawing the wrong kind of attention, and so it's just kind yeah. of a, I felt like she was sort of stuck in an impossible situation where there's really no no happy outcome and no right or wrong move. That's right,
2: um, and, but that's, you know, that's the definition of a true hero, Yeah. Is that you, you do things despite the consequences. Um, you try to do the right thing, and and many people did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were a number of, of Catholic Italians who um, who sacrificed their lives to save um, their friends and neighbors,
3: and there mm-hmm.
2: were story after story about how many you know, priests and nuns were executed by the Nazis
1: uh, for, for harboring uh, Jews. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a very uplifting story as well yeah oh i agree well the, thank you so much for being generous with your time with us this morning i, I do i want to ask you one more question and that is uh, i think most of our listeners and, and the folks here in the library are familiar with your rizzoli and isles books but i uh-huh. wondered if you have um if you have maybe an early favorite that you think uh that you'd like people to sort of rediscover something something from when you were just starting out as a writer well, I started off writing romance novels, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the one that appeals to me. Okay. But, um, before Rizzoli and Isles, I wrote um, a number of medical thrillers. hmm And of of those, I think my favorite is a book called Gravity. Gravity. Okay. Which is about the space program, so it,
2: oh. it may be um, a little um, unusual for for most crime writers. Mm-hmm. It's not really about a crime. It's about a,
1: a biological disaster in space. Okay. Um, but that.
2: That remains one of my favorite books, just because I remember the
1: incredible experience of doing the uh, the research for that book. Oh sure. Well, you know, our uh, our theme for summer 2019 is space, so maybe we'll have to give you another call and, and chat about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you'll use gravity, because I mean, I thought I thought it was. Yeah, I still think it's one of my best books. Well, great. Thank, thanks for pointing us in the right direction. Well, thanks again for talking to us this morning. It, it was a pleasure for me, and I know our listeners will enjoy it. And uh, I expect a very hearty discussion in the book club about this book. Uh, I think you might enjoy this book. It, it is very intense. Oh, okay. It's a quick, it's yeah. a quick, intense kind of read. I think the book club's going to dig it. Right. Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking about it with them. Uh, she was so kind. Yeah. She just, you know, warm and, and really game to talk about the book. Yeah. And, um, I, I actually talked to you at your level, so that <laughs> yes. was nice of her. Yes, I appreciate her toning <laughs> it down for me. Yeah, uh, but you know, I was um, th- this was originally recorded on uh, July sixteenth, twenty eighteen, uh-huh. and since then. Uh, I had a, a meeting of, of all the library directors up in Penyan. Yan. Right. And I stopped at a bookstore there, and I'm walking through the aisles, and bam, there is Gravity by Tess Gerritsen. Nice. Which I, I don't think I've ever come across before. I wasn't familiar with the book until she just mentioned it. So I picked it up, and I think I am going to pop it on the book club for next year. Way to go. Uh, we did it. With our space theme. So looking and forward Tess to You did it. And now it's yeah. it's happening. Now it's happening. Dreams are happening. So looking forward to reading that one. And of course, I'm going to continue reading the Rosalian Isles books. Yeah, uh, she has quite a quite a good uh, back catalog of books. Her early romance novels are there, of course. Yeah. But uh, she has medical thrillers. She has a couple of smaller series, and then of course Rosalian Isles. I think it's about 15 books or so. Yeah. Uh, by this point, uh, book 12. Book Ooh. 12 just came out. Almost.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Coming out August 15th. Okay. Uh, last year. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, This this made me reminisce a little bit about some of the past interviews we've done on the podcast. Okay, Uh, this one we were actually together for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your mic wasn't working, so it was just me talking to Tess. But you were right here in the room. Hey, I know where you're going with with this. Yeah,
0: where can people find? the regular episodes, if they enjoyed this oh, Tess Garrison well, episode. Thank you so much for asking. No
1: you can find us at soundcloud.com slash allthebooks, yeah. or you can just search on uh, iTunes for yeah. the All The Books show, and you'll find us. Find us on Twitter at All The Books show, Facebook yeah. at David A. Howe Public Library. What's there our yeah. Twitch address? What's our Twitch address? Yeah. Uh, Does it have a
0: simple little... It's twitch.tv slash all the
1: book show. Nice. We're all the book show on Twitch. We are. If they want to see us live stream. We are. So, yeah, we usually stream every Monday. But anyway, uh, we've done a couple of these author visits before. Yeah. Uh, usually we're together. But the first time we did a really exciting author visit, you were out of town yeah. and I had to go solo. I was at a wedding. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's right. You were. So <laughs> I sat down and talked with Julie Spencer Fleming and your presence was was felt. Yes. And if you don't remember, I, I think we should do it right now. Okay. Good evening, and welcome to a very special episode of the All the Book Show. A special episode, not in the 90s sitcom way, but uh, the specialness here is two two parts. First, we get a special guest here, Julia Spencer Fleming. Julia, say hello.
3: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. And the second special thing is that for the very first time, we have a live audience. So guys, are you having fun so far? (laughs) Yeah, I think I picked that up. Anyway, uh, I'm Nick Gunning, Uh, our co-host is not with me today, so say hello to Eric Mickles. There he is, everyone. (laughs) He's got charm, he's got style. He's got a hipster beard. He does, a little bit, yeah. yeah, It's a great picture of Eric there. Anyway, Julia, uh, what I'd like to do today is uh, have you on a special Take 5 segment of our podcast. So we have uh, five questions prepared for you. The first is this, question one in the Take 5. Was it daunting to start a second novel after In the Bleak Midwinter was met with such a positive response?
3: It was It was daunting to finish the second novel. Okay. Um, I had already begun it before the, the first book, In the Bleak Midwinter, started popping up with lots of awards. It swept and, several and re- awards, it swept, yeah. It swept a lot of awards. It um, got reviewed in major newspapers, and it was a big deal. And I was about halfway through A Fountain Filled with Blood, my second book, And I started to think, what am I going to do? I had no idea what I'd done in the first book (laughs) that made it so good. And I had this horrible image that you know, the second book was going to be like a failed pancake, you know, and I'd have to throw it away, and it was going to be an awful flop. I was very, very nervous about it. And, of course, people will tell you when you're published that uh, your sophomore book never does as well as your first book mm. does. So I was I was biting my nails and, and crossing my fingers about okay. it. Yeah. Is,
1: there, is there one that you've been proudest of?
3: Um, I think... The one that I'm personally most attached to, maybe, is One Was a Soldier. Okay. Uh, The story of a group of people from my small upstate town coming back to Miller's Kill after serving in various ways um, in uh, in the war, uh, because it's fascinating. We do not have the widespread participation in the military that we used to. Um, You go back a generation or two and everybody had, you know, their dad was in the military, their uncle, you know, everybody had that picture on the wall. We don't have that nowadays. It's a much more small, selective portion of the population. And I wanted to be able to have my readers feel like they personally knew someone who had served and been through that experience by reading my book and I got some really wonderful feedback about it and so I feel like that was something that that was a little bit more than just an entertaining mystery. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, Number two, was there a particular author or book that inspired you as a child?
3: Goodness, as a child. Um, My favorite books as a child were the Mystery of the Mushroom Planet, (laughs) (laughs) Not a mystery. Yeah, I don't know who knows that out there. You'll have to put it up as a link on the website. All right. These were a fantastic series of books about kids who like built their own rocket ship and flew off to the mushroom planet and there was incredible adventures and <laughs> exciting things. And um as a child I actually tried to make my own mushroom planet in the attic. Um I I sort of built props and had cardboard boxes with mushrooms large large mushrooms not little ones Mm. um, on them uh, indicating that not for the first time that I really wanted to live inside a book
1: (laughs) if if we don't run the dehumidifier in the auditorium we can actually grow mushrooms right down here you have
3: the mushroom planet here in the library that's right
1: so that was (laughs) children's lit is really uh, more Eric's specialty than mine so Eric Mm -hmm. any follow-ups no, he's good. All right, that's fine. Uh, you sort of touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway because it was an interesting answer. If you weren't writing about Claire and Russ, what other genre might interest you?
3: Science fiction. Science fiction. Science fiction is what I started out attempting to write, and uh, it was the, what I really read the most as a teen and as a young adult. Um, and I got away from it for a while, and I actually am reading a lot of it now, I find it's very hard for me to read crime fiction while I'm writing, mm. um, because one of two things happens: either I uh, wind up copying somebody else's brilliant idea, you know, five days later I'll be like, you know, I think I, I think I've seen something like this. Well, I actually just stole it from, you know, one of <laughs> one of my friends that I just read, um, or I read something that's really good and I'm plunged into the slough of despond. Um, I made the mistake of reading Steve Hamilton. Who's a fantastic writer? Um, once, uh, when I was right in the middle of the book, and he's just brilliant with with this beautiful, clear, clean prose, and I just went into a total funk. I thought, I'll never be this good. It's <laughs> so bad. Everything is so wordy. Um, so I read a lot of science fiction. I love it. I'm not very good at it. I'm not good at, at writing. At, no, I'm good at writing. I'm just science. <laughs> thanks, thanks. No Matt. at writing sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come to the David Sorry, A. Howe library. Right, yeah. <laughs> library, the Murder Library, the Murder library. library, as she called it. Wow. Uh, no, I think I'm pretty good at writing, but science fiction involves world building, uh, creating a whole unique, you know, structure for it, and I'm not that good at it. Mostly, I'm really good at thinking up why and how to kill people.
1: Oh, okay, all right. So
3: you better be nice to me, Nick. I
1: will. I will. Do <laughs> you have a current favorite sci-fi?
3: Uh, so I, you know, I just finished reading John Scalzi's latest, and I love his books. They're very accessible. If you are someone who has not read science fiction before, I urge you to try them because they're just, just what would we call them? You know, just ripping good yarns. Sounds good uh, to me. Mm-hmm.
1: You know who else likes John Scalzi? Eric. <laughs> Look how excited I, he is. I truly really...
3: wish that we had video to go along with I, this. I yeah, could see the Eric on a stick I know, he's... that's making his appearance here. <laughs> he's
1: actually this skinny in real life. so it's. Uh,
3: <laughs> he is very excited nice. looking. He though.
1: is, yeah. Anyway, um, this sort of dovetails on what we're talking about here, but what is your guilty pleasure book-wise?
3: Oh, gosh. A well, book that
1: maybe you wouldn't run out and be like, hey, I just read this book, but one that you um, secretly love.
3: Well, you know, I, I confess I like... Romance, which you might guess from reading my books, because they have a very strong romantic subplot in them, um, and it's kind of a shame. Romance is the number one best-selling genre in this country, uh, bar none. Um, But it's kind of—it really is sort of a guilty pleasure, you know. It's—I like reading romance and you, you feel like you have to pull yeah. it out of its brown paper wrapper um you know what that's one of the great advantages of reading your ebook. it's like when you've got your kindle up people think you're reading proust and you know you're actually it's like sucking up love's <laughs> lusty loins or something so, <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so our uh, last question here in our take five. You write from both a male and female perspective in the series. Now, do you, do you sit down and think, I'm writing a male now, I'm writing a female now? Does it just come naturally to you? Or are there certain steps you take? Um,
3: well, the, the flip answer that I like to give is that writing as a, for a male point of view is easy. You just figure out what a woman would say, and then you subtract 80% of what she says. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I I actually do find it uh fairly natural. I do have to think about it, but I very much enjoy getting into the mindset of you know one of my major view, viewpoint characters is a fifty year old uh, chief of police in a small town and um it it requires me as a writer to use a lot more indirection, maybe. Okay. Men, very frequently, and certainly a man like, like Russ Van Alstein, they don't say everything. They really don't put it all out there. And you have to learn to decipher what's going on inside by what he's doing on the outside. And so that leads to, I think, I hope, uh, a richer style of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claire is a priest and as well as a woman, and so she is incredibly voluble and in touch with people's emotions and and she'll talk all day um and russ isn't and i need to show who he is Mm -hmm. using other things besides just just his words and i hope i do it well
1: Well, uh, do you think she does it well folks there you go all right
3: what about what about eric what does he think
1: eric what do you think
3: he's smiling he He really likes he's a little
1: starstruck if we're being honest. Uh, anyway, uh, on behalf of myself and Eric and the David A. Howe Public Library, we're so uh, thankful that you came. We had a great time tonight. And thanks for joining us on the podcast.
3: Thank you, Nick.
1: That was pretty good. Some of your best work, I yeah, think. Yeah. You know, you just, you really nailed that Harpo, yeah. uh, just kind of. The Harpo Marx yeah, yeah, just, just yeah. really, really got that yeah, going. Yeah, you so. didn't hear it on the microphone,
0: but I was yeah. just running around with a horn. Yeah, just honking the, honking horn, and the horn. Honking the horn at people in the audience, over, right yeah. in their
1: face. Uh, People love Julia Spencer Fleming. Yeah, she she's a very popular author here, and I still like since this visit because that was a while ago. That one was Mm -hmm. we recorded that March thirty first of twenty seventeen, and I still will Mm -hmm. randomly get people like, so did she say anything about when the next book is coming out? Uh, Because those those books she reposted it's on a cliffhanger
0: she reposted our episode she's like i was doing an interview and all the comments were like get back to writing it's
1: true what are you doing (laughs) doing interviews julius spencer fleming well the last one through the evil days came out in 2013 and does end on a bit of a cliffhanger yeah uh so i know i know that she is working on it uh she's her first novel in the bleak midwinter won the agatha award the anthony award Uh the macavity (laughs) award Sorry. the Dillys Award, mm-hmm. the Barry Award, and uh-huh. then she went on to also win a Nero Wolf Award and a Gumshoe Award and was uh, nominated yeah. for an Edgar Award. Mm-hmm. So uh, especially in the bleak midwinter, just mm-hmm. set off like everybody in the yeah. mystery community was like, this is a great book, you have to read it. Yeah. And it is a very good book. I enjoyed it. We did the first couple for book club in preparation for her visit. Good job. Uh, she was just a lot of fun. She was fun. at the, We all went out to dinner beforehand and she just, yeah. you know, She's just a warm person and yeah. good sense of humor. I don't remember going to dinner with anybody. You were gone. You were out of town. Okay. So you it was a, a lack of invite. Right. Okay. Right. But she just, you know, the audience really enjoyed her that night in the auditorium. And, and she right. was so game to just like play along with everything that happened. So sure. I really enjoyed that visit. And it was great to talk to Tess Garrison too. So sure was. Exciting times here at the all yeah. the Book Show. Uh, anything you'd like to add before we close up shop? now let's close up shop okay well remember folks our our regular episodes usually drop every monday Mm -hmm. and i already told you where you can find it but you can you can come and rate us and review us and uh send us an email send us a tweet we love chatting with you guys so thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time Bye. bye